Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. And we are coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. Why is the music low, Billy Jack? Turn it up! It is the Ken Carmen Show on CBS Sports Radio, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Send the tweets, send them hot, at Ken Carmen C-A-R-M-A-N. Coming up in just about 20 minutes, more on Tom Izzo. Even though it's an overrated type of argument, Reed Forgrave, boy, he really blew it out of the water, which I absolutely loved. That class warfare in baseball, and LeBron went from goat to grandma. But the NFL draft's right around the corner. We go to one of the finest who knows about the NFL draft, finest who knows about player development, finest who knows about the NFL. Football scout, host of Locked On Podcast, as well as the Dynasty Blueprint. Find him on Twitter, at Matt Williamson NFL. Matt Williamson joins us on the show this afternoon. Matt, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. How are you? Doing very well. Do you think that this is the most important year of Ben Roethlisberger's career after the heavy criticism that he's received this over this winter? Um, very well could be because it's become very clear that it's his team now more than ever. And to take it to you know get a little bit geeky with you, I mean, this offense, I'm in Pittsburgh for those that don't know, and I do a lot of work with Steeler Nation Radio, that this offense in terms of execution versus scheme has been very high on the execution side of things, you know, A.B. gets open, Juju, I mean, you kind of out-execute your opponent. Where without Bell and especially without Brown, I think they need to become much more schematically based. You know, McVay, Peyton, Shanahan, and those, those type of scheming guys open and attacking weaknesses as opposed to just, you know, driving the ball to your best guys. And mm-hmm. in order to do that, Ben's going to have to be an old dog learning some new tricks. Do you think he's willing to do so? I would say 50-50. I mean, I'm sure to some degree, but is he going to become Drew Brees at the line of scrimmage or Brady taking checkdowns and being very comfortable to hand the ball off? I have my doubts. Man, this has been one of the most talented teams in the NFL over the last five, six, seven years. And for them to not get to a Super Bowl with this group, with that core, that's got to be one of the most disappointing things that you've seen, isn't it? In a way, yeah. I mean, I get that obviously a lot here, and especially because the, the, the standards are very high here in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers mm-hmm. were, were half a game out of the, from making the playoffs this year. So this offseason, trust me, the sky is falling in Pittsburgh. Brown's gone. Bell's gone. Munchak is gone. To me, that's as, as big as any of them, but isn't talked about enough. And, yes, I hear you. And the thing I've been saying, though, and this sounds like being a Steeler apologist, though, that if you look over the Belichick and Brady era, I would say the Steelers are the second most successful team in the NFL. And is second okay? No, but second out of 32 over the last 20 years isn't so bad. And what I'm saying is, and really all I'm doing is just 
praising the Patriots to no end. I mean, think of the, the run that they've been on and the dominance they've had, not only over the Steelers, but the entire AFC has just crippled everyone's ability to, to get Lombardi's. Matt Williamson joining us on the show. I don't think that's being an apologist. I think that's true. I think yeah, what you're I mean, saying, really yeah, too, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I mean, you like said it. Ewing's Knicks or whatever. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you have Michael Jordan in your conference, it's awful tough. Yeah, I, no, I totally agree with that. Matt Williamson joining us on the show. I, I want to know from you before we branch out and do some other things. Now, you were in Cleveland, and you've been you have been a critic of Cleveland, and rightfully so. How do you feel about this season coming in? Because they got some Hollywood guys. Is that something that you feel is going to translate, or because it has been the Browns over twenty years? All right, let's wait and see because they have a tendency to get in their own way. This is a great topic because, I mean, if we were talking Browns one year ago, your question to me might have been, do you think the Browns will win a game this year? I mean, that was only 365 (laughs) days ago. You know, I mean, they were coming off a winless season one year ago. That being said, I think they clearly have the best roster in the division, including Pittsburgh, including Baltimore. They have the best group of players. But – I do know for a fact that when I'm sitting there in Latrobe or if you're in Baltimore training camp, all those veteran Ravens and Steelers are going to be doing playing the card that they haven't been able to play their whole life and say, no one thinks we can win the division. We're the underdog, you know, the world against us. Where on the other hand, even, you know, even certainly when I was there and ever since, there's never been expectations in Cleveland. And now you have expectations. And I know those things don't translate to paper, and that doesn't mean you can cover Odell or the Bakers isn't any good or anything like that. But it's awful hard when the expectations are you have to win the AFC North now or it's a bad year. And if Bill Parcells was a head coach, I'd be like, they'll win 14 games. But it's not a knock on Kitchens at all. He's never been a head coach. I mean, some of these guys that are head coaches now have had just meteoric rises from position coach two years ago to – in charge of an organization with high expectations and a lot of really big personalities. I mean, I think what they're building there is great, but I also think there's a lot of – if things go bad, I mean, for example, let's say that the Thursday night opener, they get elected to go to New England, you know, and everyone in the world's watching and they lose by 30, and then where are we? You know what I mean? Like, the expectations are much different. You're going to be playing on Monday night a lot more. You're going to be getting home on short weeks. You're going to be playing on prime time. It's just something they've never dealt with. Matt Williamson joining us on the show. Uh, In in clear honesty, I'm in Cleveland. I'm a, I, I, I always say it, no problem with me saying I'm a fan on this show. It doesn't matter to me. Sure. What the hell? So I, I'll say that, yeah, because I think it adds some fun to it. I saw up front the Sashi Brown years, the teardown, and I saw up front what happened with, with Hugh Jackson and that whole thing. And I see what the Dolphins are doing, Matt, and I think it scares me because it seems to be like the Dolphins are being used as a, or the Browns are being used as a blueprint and I'm going, man, you know, if, if if they take Sam Darnold instead of Baker Mayfield, I think Sam Darnold will still be better. But I think that changes I think that changes the perception. Not that I think Sam Darnold will have a good career. He might not be as good as Baker Mayfield right. over time, but you get what I'm saying. If they would have taken Allen, good God knows what we're saying about John Dorsey right now. And I think that, man, to to use that to to talk about just tearing it down and starting from the very studs on the way up, I think that's a very dangerous practice, Matt, because you have to get that pick absolutely positively perfect to help yourself out. 
Right. And the thing I've been saying about Miami this year, too, is I probably would not be even in the market for a quarterback this year. Because if he, even if he threw Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield on that team, he probably won't succeed. I mean, he didn't have the line. He didn't have the it, – It's this is the offseason I would start building Miami infrastructure with Patriot-like Flores people, especially offensive linemen, so next year I can go get that quarterback. But you're 100% right. You better hit. And the other thing, going back to the Browns as a blueprint, all of a sudden, though, the, the Browns are in a great shape. I mean, like I said, their roster's fantastic. But it took them, what, four years to really implement the plan and two different GMs? The yeah. thing about the Browns, though, is, and it's a great problem to have, all of a sudden, all those guys' contracts are going to be start coming up at the same time. You know, like, it's going to be really hard a year or two from now to keep all these great draft picks that Cleveland's made. I, I think, because do you try to do it in this way where do you try to, the guys that you might not sign, and we've we've heard this from other teams a little bit, do you try to trade them off and let other teams sign them to the extensions and try to get some picks? Is that the way to do it? Maybe, but then you're not as good a team and you lost your window. And mm-hmm. I think we'll have to, that might have to be a to be determined thing with Cleveland. Because, Absolutely. I mean, if you have the Miles Garrett in place and you have Baker in place, you should be pretty darn good for a long time. And maybe you can trade off the Najokus and the other strong pieces for more picks and keep replenishing things. I think that'll be interesting. I don't know that answer, though. It seems that the Raiders are making things up as they go along. Uh, they've signed a lot of guys. How much better should they be in 2019? few games. I mean, I still think they're a long way away in terms of building the culture. I think the defense is still going to be really poor. Again, I'm not sure what the identity is. I mean, if you look at the Gruden regime so far, he got there, signed a bunch of old dudes and blocking tight ends and fullbacks and took the impression of, hey, we're just, we're really close. And then he gets his hands on the team and realizes we're really far (laughs) and trades everybody off. That being said, I do think Gruden was very impressive the last six weeks or so of the season. His team was highly competitive. I thought he really got his his feet in in terms of play calling at the NFL level. He just worries me from a personnel perspective. You know, it it seems very whimsical of who he likes, who he doesn't like. And people that know him will tell you that guy on Monday Night Football that was praising every player couldn't be more polar opposite than the head coach. I mean, there's not many people he likes that he wants on his team. Yeah, it was absolutely true from some of the guys that he even jettisoned. Is it a put-up-or-shut-up yeah. year for uh, Derek Carr? I think so, and I hope so. I hope they don't do something brash and don't give him the shot because I thought he had no chance to succeed last year. I like the team around him now. I think they'll have a semblance of a running game. They clearly have receiving help. I mean, he needs to be protected. He wasn't last year. I mean, that's one, that's one of the things. Like, Reggie McKenzie was a, a good GM because – he realized his quarterback's biggest problem was dealing with pressure. So he went out and spent a lot of money on Osemele and Hudson and offensive linemen. And last year that kind of crumbled. And if you don't build around your quarterback's strengths and weaknesses, you really have no chance. So I do think the Raiders were smart to let's make Carr's life as easy as possible this year, as every quarterback should. That's not a knock on Carr. It's exactly what happens with Goff and Trubisky and a lot of these guys Mm -hmm. that – now now that we've made it nice for you, Carr, let's see what you can do. And I have a feeling he will succeed if Gruden gives him the chance. Who's your number one quarterback in this draft? 
Murray by a long shot, and that's not a, a, a knock on Haskins. I do think Murray has a chance to be a very, very special player. If you were the Giants, would you take Dwayne Haskins then at six if he were available to you? Would you trade up? Yes and yes. Um, I know people have been very critical of the Giants, and I get that. But I also think if you look at just the offense, the defense is a disaster. But if you look at just the offensive side of the ball right now, I've said this a few times on my podcast, that all of a sudden I think that's a really nice, comfortable nest for a Haskins or a a young quarterback to be added in there in the same room as Eli, a much-improved offensive line. I mean, Kevin Zeitler's a big-time guard. I know Odell isn't there, and I don't know the man personally, but Mm -hmm. getting that big personality out of the offense and the demand for the ball and not, not to mention contract and all those things, yeah, he's a great player, but throwing to Ingram, Tate, and Shepard isn't so bad. Not to mention, you have the greatest safety blanket in the whole league in Saquon Barkley for a young quarterback. I think it's a great situation right now to insert a Haskins. I don't like the other guys as much, but you know what I mean. I think it's a yeah. great landing spot for a rookie. If if it were the Giants number one over Rosen, to be honest with you. Ooh, what do you think you could like, get away with? What do you think you could get away with in a trade? I think that early second gets it done in a heartbeat. And you may even get him for less, but I think the early second assures you get Rosen. He would fit in in a very Eli Manning-like fashion. And then you sell to your fan base, hey, I used two first-round picks and Jabril Peppers to bring in three starters, stud defensive players. You know, the offseason doesn't look so bad all of a sudden. I know you've been in the league, so take this the right way. I'm not personally challenging him. But... They hired Steve Wilkes, they fired Steve Wilkes. They they drafted yeah. Josh Rosen, then they would trade Josh Rosen. What's Steve Kime still doing in Arizona then? Yeah, it's a bad look for sure, and it's bad business. It's hard to succeed that way. You know, the year that I was with the Browns, we scouted for Butch Davis's defense, which was a strict 4-3, you know, the U, and then Romeo comes in, and we basically have to take all those scouting reports and throw them away because we're playing a 3-4. You know, like, all that change <laughs> makes it really hard to build the right type of players. That being said, I think when they did, and this is exactly what you you said, but when when they hired Kingsbury, I do think their goal was, Cliff, your job is to make Rosen a great player. And then you dig into draft prep, and the more you learn about Murray, you say, I'm infatuated with this guy, though. How can we pass him at one? He's He's more special. He's the most special guy in this draft. He fits the system to a T. So I guess you make the move, but it's bad business. I mean, it's like buying the Cadillac, driving it off a lot, taking it around the block and trying to sell it. You're not going to make any money on it. Yeah. Now, Matt Williamson joining us on the show. This has been fantastic. Football, Scott, if you were the Giants and at number one. And that Cadillac and you throw baseballs at it, too, and speed it up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you, but right. Let me ask you this. If the Giants were at number one, they got Pat Shermer, everything like that, would they still take Kyler Murray? Do you like Kyler Murray with them? Mm-hmm. Do you like him with anybody? I like him with anybody, but I like the Kingsbury system in particular. The thing about those guys, and I'm not lumping all athletic quarterbacks together, but you really saw this with Allen, you saw it with Lamar, that the guys that are great athletes, they can rely on that for a year or two to get them by, you know, while they learn the pocket stuff, pre-snap things. That I, I mean, I sit there and I'm thinking off the top of my head, man, that Giants offense, like I laid it out, with a threat, a dual threat like Kyler Murray, is that far-fetched to say that's a top-five offense? Mm, 
No. I mean, even without Odell. I mean, there's a lot of weapons there. Barkley, good line. I mean, I could see them being very successful in year one with Kyler Murray as their quarterback. Especially with Saquon there. I think you're right. right. Matt, I, I could go on forever. i got to go to break. And I thank you very, very much for the time. At Williamson NFL on Twitter. Find this guy. Follow him. He's fantastic. Matt, all the best. All right, man. Take care. You too. Matt Williamson joining us on the show. Former scout, current scout, uh, host of Locked On Podcast, as well as the Dynasty Blueprint at Williamson NFL. He's absolutely fantastic. 855-2124-CBS. I got a thought of Kyler Murray there. I have to get it off my chest when we come back. Also, does baseball have a classism problem? It's Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. Tonight, 8.30 Eastern, 5.30 Pacific, CBS Sports Network hits the ice in St. Paul, Minnesota for the NCHC Frozen Face-Off Championship game. See who will go on to win the automatic bid to the NCAA Tournament on the 24-hour home of CBS Sports. I love doing those reads, damn it. You guys ought to make me do the reads more. Tom? No one would complain if you did him two or three times a show. Hey, can we get the Billy Jack clip in again? Can we? Do, can I hear that again? But I said, "F you." Let's hear it. And I left. <laughs> you said, "No, you're fired." Whatever. I left or fired. Who gives a? Sh-? Boom! You're dead. Boy, well, I wish that would have been true. <laughs> That's Billy Jack talking. I wish that was true. How you feel about that, Billy Jack? I mean, I think it's funny. That's you. Yeah. Answer, answer, answer the American people when you say those type of things. That's me. Billy Jack and his girlfriend broke up. Folks, we have exclusive audio of what Billy Jack said to his girlfriend after they broke up. Yep. That's right. That's what I said. (laughs) That's actually from the actual scene. Hey, Billy. Yes. Chernoff comes in. He says you're fired. What do you say? No, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> oh, you found the line, Ken. <laughs> hey, Billy, where was the first place you worked? The first place I worked was uh, talking like way back, like when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't know, like summer camp, I guess. You worked at summer camp. Yeah, when I was like 14, I guess. And they were like, Billy, you're fired. What did you say? <laughs> There, there you go. It's done with this summer camp. No done summer with camp. your rules. None of that for me. I love you, Billy. You're such a great guy. Thanks, man. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. We just had Matt Williamson on. The Kyler Murray thing, does it not make any of you else afraid? I know we got tournament basketball on and that whole thing. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Maybe I'll sing the song at the end of the show. I'm not sure. However... It doesn't. It, I'm the only one. It's concerning. It if it were the Giants and you heard him, he's like, yeah, you know, they could have a good offense. And Matt Williamson knows a hell of a lot more about football than a lot of people listening, and certainly me talking about it. I get that. But even he was kind of like, if the Giants had the number one overall pick, would he take Kyler Murray overall? You to take that over fit. Because you have no idea what a coach is going to do. You have no idea if he's going to be there. Now, I would assume Cliff Kingsbury, if he has any success, would stay in Arizona basically forever. But who the hell knows? You're going to take Kyler Murray based on that. 
That's a hell of a risk. And watch it work. It'll work for the first year at least. I don't know how it'll do in year two, but it'll work. These things, it just always goes to be that way. I would show so much concern over it going, man, really, 5'10 quarterback, and he does all those other things, but you really got to scheme it up, and it's all about scheme, and you brought in Cliff Kingsbury just for scheme, and I still wonder why Steve Kimes still has a job, and all this, that, and the other. You watch. They'll end up being right near the top of the NFC West, which is supposed to be hard every year. They'll find a way. That's how this always works. 855-2124-CBS. I wonder if there's a class problem in baseball. Mike Trout makes $430 million over the course of his extension, which isn't a kick in here in, what, another year or two. He's part of the 1%. If you look over baseball, still plenty make $10 million plus a year. I think it's 124 25-man roster times 30. I think that's 750, if I'm not mistaken. So right there, you have 124 players who make $10 million, $10 million a year or more. 246 of those players make $500 million a year or more. Not $500 million. $5 million a year or more. So when I hear about baseball dying, I think that the numbers are overwhelmingly against that, and people will say, well, it's just the 1%. And then it makes me start to scratch my head. Colorado signs Nolan Arenado to over $250 million. Right, Tom? It was over two fifty, wasn't it? Two fifty, At least two fifty. So we'll put it down at two fifty. St. Louis is about to extend Paul Goldenschmidt somewhere in the neighborhood of $130 million, so he becomes one of the guys who definitely make over $10 million a year, and then he's part of the number of the 124 who are in that upper echelon. But still, if you're in one of those mid-to-major markets, even though, and nothing against the fine folks of Denver, Colorado, I'm not saying anything bad about your city, I'm not saying anything bad about the people, but we know about the size of markets, and Detroit and Denver and a couple of other places are obviously different from New York and L.A. Chicago is, is on that mix as well. I wonder if there's a class warfare here. Because in the NFL, you have a salary cap. The salary cap might be a myth. The salary cap might just be a number we tell ourselves, and that's it. Arenado was eight years at $260 million. Thank you very much, Tom. The salary cap might be a myth. It seems to be that where every single team needs to find some money, and we say, well, so-and-so's in cap hell. When they need to find some money to sign to a guy, they seem to find money to sign to a guy. But in Major League Baseball, there seems to be a chasm between the haves and the have-nots. And while we can look at this as far as a term with Americana where, yes, you have the 1%, they they have everything, and we want part of that, and it upsets some of us. And so that's why we vote people in and why we go on great big Twitter strikes, and that's why we get excited and upset about those type of things. I wonder if the same thing tends to happen in baseball. I come from a market that's mid to small and looks at baseball basically as the third sport in the town, depending on what type of year it is, for the given teams that are in the town of a three-sport town still. And for those fans, when Nolan Arenado signs his contract, when any one of these other contracts, especially with Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, those contracts are signed, so many of them going, we're not holding on to our superstar. That's the first thing they think about. And when so many people tell me, well, baseball has problems, does baseball really have problems when they're able to afford Mike Trout? And in in L.A., the Los Angeles market, even though it's Anaheim, the Los Angeles market, still a $430 million extension. He's the greatest player of the generation. Easily he's worth that money over that course of time, you would assume. 
But if you had that player, if Mike Trout played in Milwaukee, spent a little bit of money, but no one really noticed, if he played in those cities, would you have faith that they'd be able to hold on to him? Is the salary cap the only thing that's missing? Because we can talk about the free market system and how baseball is the closest thing to real life that we can find. But just because it's the closest thing to real life doesn't mean that fans all over like it. Sports are supposed to be a fantasy. You're listening to Ken Carmen on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. Speak now, forever hold your peace. That is CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line. It's brought to you by Geico. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Boys, I got the hiccups. That's never it's, ideal. This doesn't happen on air that often. It's happened before. What is the recommended remedy for on-air hiccups? I don't. Even I don't know. know. I have no idea. This sucks. Hey, who's your, who's your favorite? To, who do you want to win the tournament now? Your favorite team, not who you pick. Who's your favorite team? Talk. Go. I mean, I guess I'm rooting for Ja. Let's do this as long as we possibly can. So let's go, Murray State. Let's go, Racers. What are you thinking, Billy Jack? What's on your mind there? Um, I'll go, I'll go jaw. Are you you eating right now, Billy? Yeah, I'm having an orange. How's your mouth that full with orange? Well, I I mean, it's called putting two slices in your mouth at the same time. Why you put two slices in your mouth at the same time when I'm trying to talk to you? I didn't know you were going to go to me. Well, you should be ready at all times. All right, my bad. There you go. Did you pull it out of your mouth? You could have finished. No, I did. I did finish it. Okay. I'm not going to spit it out. So who? Oh, gosh, I got the hiccups. It sucks. Rough couple we, hours for me. I know. I'm sorry. For everybody. Rough no, couple no, hours for the show. No, no, yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the show's been fine. I think everybody in the show has been suffering in one way or exactly. the other. Uh, so who you pick? Who you picking there, uh, Billy? I like um, I like Ja. I like rooting for him. But I also am a big Tony Bennett fan, so I'll say them. Oh, you want you? Are you a fan of the singer or the actual coach? No, the actual coach. Okay. Wow, that was a bad one. I Ooh. know, man. I wow. this sucks. It's the final segment of the show. You really can't. You really can't hold out now. I mean, for the love of God, I got thir- I got eleven minutes left. I can't do it. This is awful. Yeah, thank you. I, oh God, I have the hiccups and my voice just cracked because I'm just trying to get through it because I got the hiccups. I'm hoping that Murray State can do a whole lot of winning in the tournament. So everyone gets to see John Morant. There you go. Did that work? I don't think I have hiccups right now. Do it again. We'll do, do run it back. Run it back. I think I got over the hiccups. Thank you, Tom and Billy. 
I don't have the hiccups right now, so I think I will do a radio show like CBS pays me for. Well done. I think I'm good now, baby. I think I'm good. Well done. Thank you very much, Tom. Nobody deserves praise except for you and those pipes. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm a hell of a singer. Fine, let's get down to business. I'm feeling revitalized. All right, let's get down to it here. When I was younger, I'm going to start out telling the story. When I was younger, by the way, I am really hoping for Murray State. I want to see John Morant do well. I want to keep having that argument. I found it real quick. I found it was great that people were willing to call in at the beginning of the show and argue, argue about whether or not John Morant or Zion Williamson should be number one overall. That's the beauty of the tournament. Don't you see? Don't you see? People who haven't seen Zion Williamson, except for the highlights, but most of them have, but people who haven't seen John Morant all year, seeing one game against Marquette going, hey, I think he should be the number one pick. Now, I will say the guy who originally made the call He gave me plenty of good basketball reasons why Zion Williamson shouldn't be the number one pick. Now, that's a basketball reason. If you get an owner involved, if you're the Knicks, if you're the Suns, if you're the Cavaliers, who else is down and sucking up the room this year? If you're any one of those teams, if you get the number one pick, if you're the Hawks, whatever, you got to take Zion Williamson. Your owner is going to make you take Zion Williamson. If your arena holds 18,000, you're getting 18,000 to see Zion Williamson. So it just makes dollars and cents. You're getting more primetime games. You're getting more excitement. They have the CBS Zion cam that people got upset about. So take it what you can. But John Morant, because of the way the NBA is developing, because of the way the league is going, he could end up being the better player. He's got a shot. Zion, there's been questions. I think John Morant is right up there. And regardless, if you're top three, boy, you got to be excited about 2020. If you're a top three pick in this draft, Zion, Ja, R.J. Barrett. I know R.J. Barrett's been a little bit up and down uh, with the shooting, with the threes and things like that since the second half of the season really started. Still, I think you're going to get one of the very young guys who, if you give them some time, develop them the right way, they're going to be very good. But with the way the league is going where it's getting further and further away from the basket, you can definitely make an argument if a guy's got a three and great court vision to find other guys, which the assists have been great. And the ball movement had been great with John Morant. If you got that guy, I could listen to that. I don't think it's absolutely a, I don't think it's a slam dunk. I don't think it's guaranteed that Zion Williamson, argument-wise, is the number one best overall player. I'll give you that. I think when it's put into practice, though, when we get dollars and cents and thunderous dunks and, and money involved, Zion's number one. Can't tell me James Dolan or Dan Gilbert or now I'm having a brain fart about who owns the Suns. You can't tell me uh, any of those guys. If they get number one overall, it, it it just makes money. It it keeps your team there. It's it's perfect. But John Morant can end up being very very good. Eight five five two one two four CBS. Eight five five two one two four two two seven. My grandfather, when I was in college or just when I got out of college, my grandfather was a great man. I loved my grandfather very very much. He had a series of strokes, and he fell at the house, and he recovered. He went to the hospital, 
uh, my he, he it, just by luck, he had strokes, and my father had shown up about a half hour later. He's a widower, an old man. We're talking about an 88-year-old man at the time where he passed away when he was 89. He had the strokes when he was 87. He passed away when he was 89. We're talking about a very old man here. And what I'll always remember about him was how honest he was. My father found him, called the paramedics. He was rushed to the hospital. After everything was stabilized, he, he had a bit of a comeback, but it never was the same. He had very limited use of his right arm. It was very difficult. And while he could live independently at the very beginning of his time without my grandmother, it was a little difficult. My aunt would show up. My dad would show up. Other aunts and uncles would show up here and there to take care of things. But my father was the closest to him. My father was basically his guardian. And he told my father that he needed to go to a home. Not that he wanted to go, but he needed to go to a home. And his reasoning was is that he's 87 years old. He's lived enough of a life. And my father and his children, or me, his family, needed to be okay in their lives. My father has the rest of his life to live while he's not giving up on grandpa, while he's not giving up on his father. There's a life to live. My grandfather said that to my father. And if my dad, hopefully enough, gets is able to live long enough, he'll probably say the same thing to me. And God willing, if I live long enough, I'll say the same thing. I remembered that lesson from when I was young, and hopefully if there's a time, I'll remember that lesson when I'm old. There's not a lot of people who get to do that. We all know somebody, and if I'm saying, if I'm talking to you, I'm sorry. I, I hate to upset you, but I might upset you here. We all know people whose mothers, in-laws, grandma, whatever, they run their lives. They become a burden. I mean, let's call it what it is. They don't want to go to a home. They won't hear of going to a home. They raise their children. They expect their children to take care of them in their waning years. And their parents over time, because of this, that relationship suffers. It becomes a problem. And some of the great warm memories that could be remembered of grandma or grandpa over time become a nasty feeling that you were being burdened by someone at the end of their life while you need to live yours, while we only have so much time. This is the relationship that LeBron James has with the L.A. Lakers. Everything in his career has been done for LeBron. During the early years, he took a hapless Cleveland Cavaliers team. He put them on his shoulders. He took them to the NBA Finals for the first time in our lives. And and with the Cavaliers, the first time in franchise history. And at a team that was absolutely garbage. You look back on that 2007 team, with the exception of Zydruna Silgowskis, I don't even think Ira Nubel had arms. And you might be able to show me on video, but I still don't believe it. Put that team on his shoulder. He went to the NBA Finals. They lost to the San Antonio Spurs, but it was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. What he did with the Heat was fantastic. What he did with the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2016, just recently, was absolutely amazing. But this year with the Lakers, everything's been done for LeBron, and rightfully so. But the problem now is everything's being done for LeBron, and it might not be rightfully so. 
groin injuries, back injuries, knee injuries. He'll be 35 next year. Things might, might be catching up. And like an old man who lives with the family or a grandmother who lives with the family, he's become a burden. Everything's done for LeBron. Everything's done because of what LeBron has done for the league in the past. Everything is done for what LeBron has done for Cavaliers teams and Heat teams and Cavaliers teams again in the past. For 16 years, he's taken teams on his shoulders and done superhuman things. And now he may very well be at the end. Who knows what they're going to do this offseason? We'll see if they can find help. I'm not too necessarily sure they'll be able to do so. But just like an old person who lives with the family who you might be getting a little bit upset with because you have to go get the bedpan, you might be getting a little bit upset with, the reason you do it is because of what they did before. But also it's another thought, and it's a thought with America's senior citizens, that it might be a little bit much because they have a life that they need to live to. The NBA has a life that it needs to live to. Other players need to come and go. Other players need to have their spotlight. Other teams need to have their chance. Other ways need to be found. And no matter what, while LeBron still pushes every single needle in the league, there will be a time where this is over. And with the L.A. Lakers, at least for this season, this 2018-2019 season, he has gone from the greatest thing that the league has to talk about, the greatest storyline, the greatest newsmaker that this league has to talk about, to an utter joke, a problem within a front office, a problem within an organization, and a problem to a team that really doesn't know what they're doing that is doing everything for the glorification of him. And for the first time in his career, he might not be able to take them where they need to go. Big thanks to everybody who helped us out today. Tom Benedetto, Araki, Billy Jack, Justin Shackle, Chris Lopresti. I'm Ken Carmen. We got Gresh next. Have a wonderful weekend, my friends. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.